Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. So. Welcome to chapter 16 of Octavia's Parables. I am Adrian Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And we love hosting this podcast. <laughs> We're excited yes, to be we back do. with you. <laughs> and the thing that I wanted to uplift this week in the Octavia Butler world is actually not new, but just got forwarded to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, is the the Octavia E. Butler Legacy Network, Moya Bailey and Ayanna Jameson actually did a TED Talk uh, last year in 2019 that was all about why you should pay attention to Octavia, what she had to offer. So we will drop that link in the show notes for this episode. It's a beautiful thing to go listen to, to go watch. Um, They created an entire artistic journey into Octavia's worlds. So nice. check that out. Um, and we are in chapter 16. Yes. And Toshi, can you bring us in? Yes. Earth seed cast on new ground must first perceive that it knows nothing. Earth seed, the books of the living, Monday, August 2nd, 2027. Continued from notes expanded on August 8th. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So we're walking. We're walking. We we're, I already know the walking. song that I'm putting in this episode. It's oh, our yes. song Walking Miles, because that's what they do in Walking, Walking. And Lauren says, Walking, 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 walking is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's hard. She says, she says it's hard. It is, it is hard. And that's what they're doing. They're on the on the journey. They are learning a lot from from Zara. They are understanding around where to sleep and what to eat. And they are still seeing so many people on the road and they're learning that nobody is really safe. They also experience um, their their first attack. And they've, um, they've started to work out watches and then understand like Lauren has one gun all of them have knives and they're starting to be like, all right, how do we actually get our rest on the, on the road? How do we yeah. take care and watch out for each other? Um, and they find out that Zara can't read and Lauren is going to teach her. Yes. Um, she asked her to. Yeah. There's something to say about this whole idea of education. And I think about this particular time where, you know, I just am like, what are people doing and how are they doing it? And how are kids learning? And even before this era, how many things were, um, you know, that maybe you and I grew up with having to learn, you know, yes. how to how to actually like write cursive. <laughs> how to write in cursive. And they're like, nah, you don't need that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> I used to have uh, excellent handwriting. So my handwriting's yes. always been trash. Always. I had to yeah. take calligraphy class to try to help my handwriting. You know, I think that's often true of very, very creative and smart people, um, <laughs> is that the handwriting is a sign of the way the 
uniqueness of the mind or something. But I remember getting that training, like my handwriting was all over the place. And then I received some training and then it just fell away. You know, like (laughs) now I, I write like I journal and I'm trying to write first drafts by hand more and more often now. And because it makes you pay more attention in a different Mm. way. You're exerting the labor in a different way. And, but I often will go back and be like, what is this? I literally can't read it myself. So yeah, past self translate, <laughs> but yeah, there's a generation growing up now who are not even doing that at all. No, no. Yeah. Um, this highway is ruthless. Um, mm-hmm. Again, there's just a lot of kids on the highway, and they actually witness um, some young young kids uh, steal a guy's pack. And he was walking. He was he was eating. And they just snuck up behind him and cut his straps and pushed him down and stole it really fast. So that's, again, pointing to, like, you just want to be in your zone and not be casual about anything. It's just 100% um, awareness at all times, which is is completely stressful. Yeah. And Octavia knows that that guy is chubby. That always stood out to me. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, he looked like he'd been eating. <laughs> she he looked like he'd that. been eating. Yeah. That was a really mm-hmm. interesting choice she made. But she, she's like, he's he looks like, and he's eating. So mm-hmm. he's he looks like he'd been eating and he's eating. And then he's the mm-hmm. one that gets that gets caught. Yeah. Um, You know, everybody is trying to figure out how to move, move around. Octavia said, nope, that's not how you do it. So. That's right. That's right. Um. And the uh, the few times I've seen anybody drink any water, it's just been so fast. It's been like, you know, like just try to hide and do it. And they, there's a little bit around, you know, uh, that there is not any time really to be to be mourning. Like now that they're on the road, they just a hundred percent have to be focused on what they're doing, and they they don't really get to investigate like their feelings around their their gigantic loss um of family and community and, and everything chapter is 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 one of the chapters where i like i i'm on this version if i'm on this i tap out like i'm like <laughs> i'm not i'm not <laughs> actually like, gonna no. keep going yeah i don't i'm gonna you would be back at the store probably like singing yeah. songs to people at the store or helping sell stuff or something uh you know I'll be right next to you so <laughs> I'll be like, i want a falafel <laughs> <laughs> we would be at hanny joe's we feel like hanny joe's shop in yeah. peace you know, let's yeah. let's just try to hold up here and like, you know, get ready get ready for the revolution. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is <laughs> this is a great chapter because of the dynamics mm-hmm. between the three of them. And, yeah. you know, basically Zara has experience and, and has an, an idea about what it means to be um, be out in the road and and how you interact with people you don't know. And Lauren kind of instinctively is like, no, don't be interacting with people you don't know. But Harry is way, you know, in an explorative zone of like, but maybe we should see and maybe we should we should get to know people and and maybe we should, you know, let people sit by the fire and like and um and they have to spend a lot of a lot of time, you know, really convincing Harry that like you you can't do that. Like you can't exactly. be an open Yeah. So all of those conversations um, as they're moving through their condition uh, uh, happen. And yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's like, you know, that just goes back to Harriet Tubman. Like, are you ready for your freedoms or not? Like, cause we gonna have to go yeah. and we gonna have to go in this particular way. Yes, exactly. This, I love the North star that Lauren is inside of this group and starts to feel within herself in the way that she, through her study and her attentiveness, you know, she's paying attention um, even more than Zara. Like, it's like Zara because she is a survivor, but she was younger. There's still slips that she makes. And I feel like Lauren is the one who kind of keeps catching like, oh, we can't do it that way, y'all. That's not yeah. going to work. She actually says yeah. we can't afford your denial. Uh-huh. And I feel that's like right. that's just a, that's just... That's just something for all times. Like, That's right. you know, when something's happening and you want to invest and investigate in denial, like, it's like, no, well, we actually can't afford that right now. Like, you, do you see that we just left the house burning and we are we up here on our feet walking up a highway with all these people? Like, exactly. Can you come and be with us, like, in the reality of our situation? Exactly. And I think I, 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 so I have one of the books that I use for the opera and I write, Harry is so stubborn in one of my notes. So stubborn. He's so stubborn. So stubborn. He really is. It's so problematic. I mean, it's, and it's wonderful because I'm like, absolutely he would be. Yeah. Yeah. So he's so stubborn and it's so accurate, right? That this young white man would absolutely be like, what? It's just like Mm -hmm. this. Like, I think she does with the storytelling so much exposure of how privilege functions in mm-hmm. moments like this, right? Where it's just like, what? We're fine. We can fundamentally trust the world. We can fundamentally trust people. And, you know, she's like, reality check. We are we are actually in this world right now. And yeah. look around you at what's happening. Yeah. And what I also love about, I love about this is that you start to get into, um, a little bit looking back at the Walden community and kind of how they how they process things. Um, Zara mm-hmm. actually had experience with guns and and uh, and knows how to shoot a gun. Is familiar with the gun that Lauren has. Um, Zara brings up that Lauren came and to learn how to like you know kill the rabbits and. <laughs> And she was just like, you know, why'd you want to learn that? I mean, it's blood, it's guts, it's worms. And 
she's like, there she goes again, sticking her nose where it don't belong. Um, we'll let her have it. <laughs> and I think it's it's just interesting exactly. to see somebody else see Lauren moving around the community and just being like you get the idea that she was just everywhere and trying to learn everything and like, you know. Yeah. Um, Little know-it-all, poking her head know it all. everywhere. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's, so she's like, I wanted to know how to do it and that I could do it without getting sick. And why? Because I thought someday I might have to. Um, and we might out here. Same reason I put together an emergency pack and kept it where I could grab it, you know? Mm. And I was like, yeah, I wonder, like, how you have all that stuff. Like, you know, so that, that again, that Lauren practiced what she thought she would need to get where she had to go. She she yes. didn't, you know, it's already going to be a lot of spontaneity in inside of doing some of the things she wants to do. So she tried to make as many things as possible be known. Here's my pack. I'm hiding this money. I'm going to learn these skills. I'm going to do this and that because, you know, so much of this I'm not going to be in charge of. Exactly. And I think we also learn in this that Lauren was really having awareness around the contradictions of their conditions. One of the main ones was that her father preached not to kill, but taught Mm -hmm. her how to shoot a gun. Yeah. And wanted to make sure she had that skill set. And all of this, I think, is really guiding us up to, like, death is on the line. Mm. This is a life or death game. That's what this chapter is all about. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And um, and Lauren is, is uh, you know, they talk, they, they have a little bit of reflection, thinking that, you know, they were so strong, back at home that they had so much organization um, and they had their weapons and everything and that it just wasn't enough. And they have their first night and Lauren is, is exhausted and takes the first watch because she can't, she can't really sleep. And mm-hmm. uh, I love this where she just says, and when I say I love this, I mean, I love how real it is. And she says, uh, I was there for three weary, terrifying hours. Nothing happened to me, but I could see and hear things happening. There were people moving around the hills, sometimes silhouettes, silhouettes of themselves against the sky, and they ran or walked over the the tops of the hills. I saw groups and individuals. Twice I saw dogs, distant but alarming. I heard a lot of gunfire, individual shots, and short bursts of automatic weapons. And, uh, and the, the dogs really worried her a lot. Um, so it gets, it gets realer and realer, like what it means to be out in the open on a highway without the wall, without the family, without the organization and having to create from that. It's so helpful that she paints the world for us. She makes it so visceral. Yeah. And. You can really feel how these are the things that she was getting the glimpses of before. And mm-hmm. now it's the full painting, like, this is what you were dashing by, but here it is to be inside of it. Yes. And that combination of her feeling so tired and unable to sleep because it's that, like, tired and wired survival thing that happens. Um, I really appreciate that she's in that spot. And then she wakes up Harry. And it's his turn. And yeah. Harry... She goes to sleep and Harry immediately is like in a fight, losing it. I feel like that part of just like, Harry, 
<laughs> Come on, Harry. He's yeah. immediately in a fight. And, you know, like, hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> exactly. Because that's what, I mean, you know, I'm just like, well, Harry. <laughs> how did these people get so close to you? Exactly. And you not wake nobody up, man. Like we, exactly. You know, do you understand what a watch is? Like, <laughs> Yeah, one job. Yeah. So they get they get attacked and um and they take care of these people. And Lauren is in such a zone. Like Lauren is in such a zone. Like they're out. Like let's let's strip them. Let's get the stuff off of them that they have. And let's take them over here and like let's move. And and Zara, she's she's like, you know, Lauren notices that she's stripping the bodies even faster and, and more specific than than uh she does you know Mm -hmm. so she's like oh okay so this is this is um what it is and um the way that lauren has to kill one of the people um because he's 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 badly wounded but he's not dead and she makes a decision to kill him um yeah and And he's wounded because she hit him with a rock and knocked herself out in the process of that Yeah. yeah So she's out, and then this opens up when she has to uh, has to tell them about her being a sheriff. And Harry's, you know, Harry is that friend that maybe it's just going to take him a little time to get get with the team. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's very much like. <laughs> it's a nice way to put. Yeah, I am. I'm saying it a nice way, but mm-hmm. Harry is is very much like. Everything that happens needs to happen, but, and he doesn't necessarily have a different plan except for he wanted to leave the guy that was suffering alive. Um, what I don't know what he thought would have to do with him, but that was yeah. all he had to offer. And um, so he's really, he's really kind of like, uh, almost like shaming Lauren for her expertise and her understanding of, of what time it is. And the decision she's willing to make. And the decision she's willing to make. Yeah, he's like judging and it's like, honey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's it's also a powerful conversation. Again, I think that that piece around moving from the theoretical to like the real. Mm-hmm. And you know, it is a it is a big conversation that she decides like actually this person has to die. It's not enough to leave them injured here. Um it's a big deal. You know, yeah. she's making huge, very grown-up decisions that everything in her mind is how do we survive? How do we survive? How do we mm-hmm. survive? And it's like she's guiding everyone else to be in that level of conversation and that it's not a theoretical thing. Like, if we leave him, what are the conditions? What happens? Like, it's like he's already attacked us once. Now we've caused him harm. Here's yeah. the decision I'm going to make. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's these are these huge conversations that it's like in some ideal world a different decision would feel possible. And then in this world this is what she chooses to do and then the three of them are having to reconcile with that. Yeah, I really love um Octavia uh giving Lauren that because you know how you watch movies and there's like, you know, some violence being done and the um uh, one person wants the revenge and the other person's like, "No, man." No, no, we gotta be better. Yep. We gotta be better than that. 
Yeah. You, you can't do this. He's like, we don't have to just kill someone for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he killed my family and killed my fucking yeah. game. You know? Like, mm-hmm. um, and I'm always secretly like, like, oh, well, why can't he take him out? Like, you know. So Harry is the Harry is the no man. You can't do this guy in every movie exactly. that's ever every TV show. That's Harry. You know. <laughs> that's Harry. No, no, you can't. Why can't you? How can you leave him? Um. Oh, we get to hear so much more about uh, about Zara, and and it's yeah. in this uh, conversation about Lauren being a sharer, and basically, yeah. Zara is a whole fantastic, amazing person who's had all of these experiences that that lead her to so much openness and perspective of the world. I think more open than Lauren and Harry. That she was like, oh, my mom took drugs too. Like, you know, exactly. things happen to me yeah, too. Exactly. Like, you know, this this don't make you no other kind of person. Like, this is just something you got. Like, um, and those people are so amazing and incredible to have. They just knock so many things down that, you know, you've been carrying on your shoulders. And they're just like, no, like this happened to somebody else. And this happened to somebody else. And this is this is the way it is in life. And you still get to be who you are. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, fundamentally, thing. that non-judgmental energy. I think Octavia is teaching us so much by having the Zara character there who gets to hold that place that each of us wants that kind of listener. When we yeah. come and we're like, here's who I am. Here's what I came from. Here's what I chose. Here's what I could not choose. Um, here's Here's what I've made of my life. And... Zara is the person, you know, that you want to hear that. That's like, oh, girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Isn't love- that life? <laughs> yeah. She says, you ain't yeah. got nothing wrong with you, Lauren. Nothing worth worrying about. That para- paraceto was, shit was baby milk. And Lauren has to reflect, mm-hmm. like, you know, how hadn't she gotten to know her? And uh, and then she hugs her and she hug- she gets hugged back. And they both look at Harry. They both look at Harry what would you do? He asked if, so Harry has like, you know, test <laughs> yes. to offer. Very, he's like, here's my quiz. Devil's advocate. Here's my test. quiz. Here's my test. <laughs> <laughs> Zara's, Zara's basically the first person in Lauren's entire life who has said like her sharing it, that there's nothing wrong with her, that she doesn't have to fix something. Exactly. Like her father Hide thought, something yeah, she doesn't, wrong. yeah, mm-hmm. that's the first person. And then Sarah, and then Harry comes up with, with a quiz for her. So, <laughs> so white guy. what would you do if this happened? <laughs> and what would you do I mean, in this situation? And, and what would you do? Um, but I love this, um, where she says that she's put her hands, her life in Harry's hands. And what is he going to do? That she's, <sighs> she's told him, she's told him the thing that makes her the most vulnerable to her. And she's like, you know, stop asking me these questions. Like, what are you going to do? Right. Right. So. And, you know, she also, I think there's explains a little bit around like, here's what it was like when I was living in the neighborhood and that I had to hide. Mm-hmm. I've already gone through that experience. And this is why you don't know this. Yes. Um, you know, because it's like, Sometimes when you reveal yourself to someone, reveal some truth about yourself, it leads to less trust. 
Mm Because folks are like, well, how did I miss this? And because they're worried about their own capacity to perceive, or again, you're telling them something that's like, I didn't pick up on that. And it's like, can I trust you? And she's Mm -hmm. like, I had to hide this. Like to survive, I had to hide this. And his response is like, well, then show me, show me something in your notebook. Like I want to know who you are. And which I think is just so interesting, right? That he's like, you're saving my life. You've saved my life already in three different ways, basically. Yeah. I can't just acknowledge and be grateful for that. Right. I have to keep putting you through this gauntlet to see, like, are you trustworthy? Can I count on you? Right. Um, but then she does share the first verse of a verse seed with him. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Um, mm-hmm. A beautiful generosity. And you can see Lauren here, you know, knowing exactly what you said, you know, that Dude, I've just saved you like 150 times and you still trying yes. to test me. But, you know, yep. come and get this earth seed life because this is what I'm really about. And she says, all that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. And um, and she explains mm. like that these are the lines, this is the first page of the first book of Ursi, the books of the living, and these lines say everything, everything, exclamation point, everything. And she says, imagine him asking me for it. And I underline the next line, which is, I must be careful. Exactly. Yes, yes. It's such, it's such God's seed, it's such sacred stuff that she has, and Mm -hmm. And I love that she knows the power of those words, like the power, even though she's at the beginning of really the exploration of how change really works in her life, like she's just beginning to experience it, to know, but something inside her knows this is everything you really need to know. And I think this is why so many of us have these words tattooed on our bodies. (laughs) It's like there's, it really is. The words are that powerful when you come, come when you really surrender to the truth. All that you touch, you change. Which I think a lot of people love that first line: "All that you touch, mm-hmm. you change." Like we all make change, but then all that you change changes you. Is years and years and years of surrender. Yes, um, because we don't want to necessarily be changed by everything. Mm-hmm. And I just love that she walks with the power of that. This is the only lasting truth, actually, and. This is actually what we're engaged in now. And her relationship to change is why she's even letting them roll with her and why yeah. she's rolling with them. And even though this initial, it's like the first night, you know, Harry proves himself not to be the watchman that she needs. That's right. But God has changed. And she's got, she believes in his capacity to change more than she believes in his need to stay the same. Like she's like all of us. We have to believe in all of our capacity to change. Yes. So I have a lot of questions for this chapter. A lot of questions emerged. Um, and they're somewhat chronological with the chapter. But the first one, and I think we laughed about this because you and I would be at the store. But physically, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of escape is currently possible for you? I think this is one that you know, I've been in so many different kinds of communities who have addressed or tried to address this question. And I'm often disappointed 
in how we think about it. You know, it's just like, well, you're either going to run or you're going to die. And and I think there are conditions in which that is the case, right? Mm-hmm. There, are, there are moments of change in which how fast you can move, how quickly you can gather your things, how much you already have together actually will shape what's possible for you. Mm-hmm. And so when you do that initial assessment, right? So for me, I'm like, I have arthritis in all the joints. There's no running. There's not that much walking. I need to either be able to ride on something or somebody <laughs> or stay put. That's my physical capacity. And so my follow-up question for that then is how could you on your own and in community increase your capacity for mm-hmm. escape? And I think a lot of our communities right now are doing this already, being in these conversations. I think the wildfires um, and the gender reveal fires and all the other fires that are happening um, in California, I think a lot of people in California are like, okay, how do a lot of people with a lot of different abilities and capacities, how do we move in units? Mm-hmm. How do we attend to each other's needs? Some people have to escape who are on ventilators. Some people right. have to escape who need medicine. Some people have to escape who need air conditioning. So, you know, it's like there's lots of different kinds of needs being there's a lot of practice survival, practice of survival happening right now. So that would be the first question. And I've heard you say both now that you'd be at the store and that you'd be like just holding down the protection. Like, yeah. you know, being like, um, do you want to speak to that all here? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there are multiple ways to be a part of escaping, you know, especially hearing from a lot of my friends, um, some of the things as they've learned, like living in California and living in certain communities, that every iteration of, of an emergency informs something. You know, I have um, some friends where, uh, not this, this fire, but, you know, a couple of years ago, the power got shut off. And so they couldn't, they couldn't have any communication. So whereas, and I was, I was in LA and I'm watching TV and I'm, and it's crazy to be in LA when a fire is happening because it's they follow the fires. Like you can, the news follows the fires. So you really see things close up. And I was just like, oh my god, I, I was, it was crazy. And and I saw her town come across the screen as an evacuation. Um, and I later, about you know, she evacuated. But I, when I heard the story. They never saw that evacuation because all their power had gotten shut shut off, and oh, wow. um, Already, and it's right. yeah, and it's an area where there's not a lot of cell service, and so the phones were off, the t- TVs were off, everything was off, and they had to form they formed their own watch, you know, and they had learned um, to have walkie talkies, and they had learned, you know, who where everybody was, and and who would be willing to take some animals and who wouldn't. And, you know, they, they had, Mm. their system was, their system was like pretty incredible. And, um, and she got out safely and everything, but like, that's, I I think that there's really a lot of different ways. And some people didn't leave, you know, like the person that took the animals didn't leave, you know? So it's, it's really, it's really something else It's it's, but there's multiple ways to be a part of it. And like, you know, I like you, I would have every tool that I could have that would make me mobile. Like, you know, I'll have a bike, I'll have a car, I'll have all the things I can think of. But I also think um, that 
that sometimes those things get taken away from you too in, inside of like the terror of, you know, mass, you know, leaving. And I also am down to be someone that holds, holds a bit a position so people can get out, you know, people who yeah. I know can, can walk long distances or people younger than me, um, yes. who want to try something, you know, I, I, I definitely, the older I've gotten, the more I've been like, I just, I just need to hold down things in a really cool way. Um, yeah. <laughs> in, in the best, yes. the best that I can, you know, because I do, um, I do love that inside of this story, there are so many people living, you know, and there's exactly. so many people in functioning so many different ways. in so many different ways. And so it is possible. And that you have this trio of people who don't know each other very well. Um, and they they don't even agree. They don't agree at all. Like they don't agree on everything. And they find they start to find the places where they connect. And that's enough. Like it doesn't have to be a hundred percent agreement. It doesn't have to be all of these right. things. It needs to be these these couple of places where you can connect. And um and I really feel like, you know, let's not wait for like a, a you know, a refugee crisis to make to understand that let's let's exactly. like you know like let's, let's employ that like right now like <laughs> yeah you know i the, think the that's fe- yeah go ahead. go ahead no no no. <laughs> yeah. well <laughs> i think that's what i get most excited about like inside of how scary and hard this covid experiment is The thing that is interesting to me is that a lot of people have had to get into a different level of conversation around intentionality in community and what is our pod? What is our circle? What is our safety? How are we attending to each other? How do we communicate around what's possible for us and what's needed? And, you know, with this story, it's always like the escape, like I need to escape where I am. But I also think right now we have a lot of people who are in various like, oh, I know several people who are like, I'm in job, I'm in a job that is not safe under these conditions. Right. And I need to move into a different way of making my living yes. um, that feels more scarce, that feels more scary, that feels unstable. Um, or I just don't have a job suddenly when I thought I did or, right. So there's all these other factors too of escaping the current reality for the new. Um, Some of the other questions. One is, do you appear privileged to other people? Um, And or like, who do you appear privileged to? Mm -hmm. So I always think about that. I'm like, I've been thick through my, through my poor years and through my years where I've had more resources. Mm -hmm. I've consistently had the same old body (laughs) basically. And it's that part of the story is always so interesting to me, the connecting of chubbiness and fatness and thick body to having a lot. Um, And I'm like, and I know that there is also, you know, it's like, if you, if you don't have food, you don't have food like that. It creates a different body. So I Mm -hmm. feel that awareness. Um, But I also think about the other ways we appear privileged to other people. And I think that happens for folks who travel, who move between communities. Um, but I'm like, how much awareness do you have of it around yes. who you look privileged to and what other people see when they see you, what other people assume when they see you? 
Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good one to just be in some self-reflection around like, how do I look to other people? Do I look like I have? Do I look like I don't have? Do I look right. approachable? Do I look guarded? Do I look dangerous? Do I look safe? Right? Yes. Um, and what do you want to do with those perceptions? Um, where are you or where are we in denial? Mm. You know, basically, where are we, Harry? <laughs> yes, um, where are we, Harry? <laughs> where are we, Harry? Right? Where are we in denial about the actual danger of our conditions? Mm-hmm. I think that it's easy to judge Harry as we read this. And then I think when we step back from that, the majority of us are in some stage of denial to just get through each day. You know, yeah. some stage of denial about how the conditions are for real, for real. So having that conversation, having that self-reflection and then conversing with your people, you know, <laughs> even who's the Harry in your group, you know, or who, who are the people who are more, have a tendency towards denial, have a tendency towards um, crisis thinking. Um, and on this question, I'd love to spend a little time on what is the difference between paranoia and intelligent vigilance? So... You know, Harry's like, I don't really trust you. And there's a lot inside of that. There's mm-hmm. racial dynamics, class dynamics, race, I mean, gender dynamics that are playing into that and then different belief dynamics. But there's also just like, he's got some paranoia and that's real, yeah. right? And then I think in our current conditions, is there anything that really is so paranoid when we are in the wake of COINTELPRO living under a corrupt regime that came into power through basically a coup. How do we understand the conditions that we're in from a place of intelligent vigilance or intelligent attention? So I wondered for you, do you feel like you navigate this line? Do you feel like you've got a good sense of this is my intelligent vigilance or do you ever have moments where you feel like, am I being paranoid or should nah, I, more? I feel like I'm right on time. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm like, dude, should, I think you are too. That's why I'm, I'm like, should I be people. doing more? Um, mm-hmm. You know, should I break? I mean, I, you know, in the last, the last episode, I asked Adrian this question about the adrenaline to kind of keep doing what we've already always been doing. And in, and in fact, like it's harder to do. So we need even more adrenaline to to execute and 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 we somehow uh i know people are even more exhausted than they ever were like we're carrying all this this and i'm like why are we doing this and you gave this great answer you know about the the familiar and what is normal and like trying to hold on and and i feel like i feel like wow like you know i try to do a bunch of things i don't usually do because i was Uh like um you know, uh, this will seem very small to people who haven't had multiple hip operations, but uh-huh. I want to be able to get up quickly. Yes. So I have practice and exercises that are all about me getting up quickly. I want it's it's been for the majority of my life hard for me to get out of bed and start walking. You know, I have to get out uh-huh. of bed. I have to after this the getting in. I stand up. I'm like, oh, both of my legs, and then I then I start walking. Um, and I usually walk kind of slow, right? Now, yes, you know, knock on everything, but I can get out of bed and start walking. And now I can sit up, I can get out of chairs pretty fast. You know, now I have a level of wow of um of flexibility inside of a small in small spaces. 
And I have less fear about walking. I've had a lot of fear about walking my um, since my hip issue started. And so that means I never want to walk too far from a base. Like I never yes. want to walk, yes. you know, where I, I can't get like a car or something. And this this time really challenged that because why I didn't own a car. I gave away my car like four years ago. I was just traveling so much I didn't need it. And and so I got challenged around walking and challenged around standing and just being in places without understanding my next step. But I, I definitely feel like I'm probably not reading these times even hard enough. You know, like I, I, I can go, I can go even deeper and yeah, I'm definitely in the use everything you got zone of my life. Like I'm like, I am yes. going to vote for Biden Harris. I am going to, I'm yes. going to uplift the black national convention continuously to everyone yes. because it's such a great launching ground for, um, activism. Um, and for awareness of of the beautiful uh, quilt of activism that's happening all over the country that has made, you know, sustainable um, and tangible positive results um, that I want to uplift us um, seeing each other um, and looking yes. at each other more than we are like looking at this horrible person that's um, a murderer and a thief. And yes. also like broadcasting if you're going to be on social media and if you are going to do the complexity of that when can we start broadcasting each other and looking at each other's eyes and really informing and uplifting each other continuously and not just pointing our rage um and our frustration towards each other so that's right i'm in this zone i'm in the zone of anything can happen and when i say anything i mean anything and i really anything Mm -hmm. and so i I, even though I am like parable, parable, (laughs) I I don't think it has to happen at all. Like, I really don't think it has to happen at all. I feel like we have a lot of time, um, to, to, uh, move ourselves into more alignment with really the planet and what the planet has in store for us and do some restorative work around how we are, um, acting together as humans on the earth. That's great. So I really think that's useful because I often feel and have felt for years like I'm preparing for something that other people around me are not necessarily interested in yet or um, or aware is happening or aware is coming. And the past four or five years have felt like, oh, see, <laughs> you know, a little bit of that, like mm-hmm. this is this is this is what can happen. This is what can be. And being in practice of changing. So I love that you're like, oh, this is my, I think that's not a small thing at all. I'm in practice of figuring out how I can get up and move quickly. That actually increases my capacity to escape, to survive, to, to be alive, to, you know, to live my life. Um, I think that I also have friends who pay a higher level of attention than me, which I think to me, I like to sit kind of in the middle where I have folks who are like, you know, it's all good (laughs) or it's more all good. And then I have, you know, they're like, there's a lot of people who are not panicked and there's reasons for that non-panic. Like there's a lot of places where it's not this level of crisis or there's a lot of places where people don't hold the American constructs around everything. And Mm -hmm. so 
life can be very different. And that is always really important to me to remember that I am of this particular U.S. experiment with the U.S. constructs, which are outsourced, which are um, rooted in European Western colonial culture, which, so I'm like, when people are like, oh, it's not like that over here. I'm like, "Mm, it came from y'all. So (laughs) it's not, not like that (laughs) over there. (laughs) Y'all might just have a different way of being in relationship with it. Um, And then it gets outsourced to other places. So I'm like, okay, it's not, it's also not, not like that. If you have heard Tupac, you have heard these concepts and you are in relationship with this. And I've never been anywhere where people haven't heard Tupac. So I have, you know, sort of that range of international awareness where I'm like, it's not all the U.S. experiment, which is really important. And the U.S. experiment is so massive and so dangerous and has impact on the entire planet and is tied into those who, from a capitalist level, don't actually care about the borders as much as they care about controlling all the resources. Mm. Um, I feel like when I tie in to my relationship to the planet, there's no level of paranoia that is too much. There's no level right. of crisis um, and fear and like, I need to be ready and I need to be pushing for and fighting for mm-hmm. our chance to be alive here in this planet, on on this planet, in this time. There's no level, you know, like I cannot be, um, I cannot be hyperbolic about it because it, it is actually we're in that dire of a situation and the earth is longing for us that deeply. Um, and we need this planet that deeply, you know, and we yes. need each other that deeply. So I think it's, I, it's a question that I want people to sit with. It's like, where do you fall inside of that? Because right. there's that level of it that's big. But then I think COVID-19 has been a really interesting level of practicing at the small intimate scale. So, yeah. you know, recently my, my sisters came to visit and it was like, Hey, are we going to wear masks in the house? Like, are people getting tested? You know, just navigating at a small scale level, like, when do we have that conversation? How do we have that conversation? Mm-hmm. How do we navigate if there's differences in how we feel? How do we navigate? You know, my family's default is humor. Like, we laugh about most things. We, mm-hmm. you know, joke with each other. We make fun of each other. So, it's like how to hold the nature of our group, which is a, a laughter nature, and mm-hmm. also be in the seriousness of the yeah. conditions. Um, so, you know, those kind of things where I'm like, it's not, it's, we're not being paranoid. You know, any one of us could be a vector of infection for any of the others. And we love each other so much. How do we not do that? Um, I feel very blessed that my family and friend groups for the most part are on the same level yeah. in terms of the risk and the intelligent vigilance <laughs> that, yeah. that we're in. Um, and I've been feeling a ton of compassion for people who are like, yeah, my whatever family member just wants to come over with no mask and be all up in my face. And that I'm like, Whew, I'm, I'm, I'm sending a ton of compassion and also yeah. like hardcore, like practice energy to those people. I'm like, good this is where you get to really be in this practice for real, for real, like life or death hinges on how we move through these moments where we are trained to be so polite that we'll act against our own interests. Yeah. And we love each other and we want to be close. This, Mm. this week is the most I've seen groups of my friends 
together in pictures and there's no social distancing and yeah. a lot of times no maps no um mask and i don't yeah i don't assume that they aren't like in a pod because they could have already arranged to be pod people and yep and do what they're doing but it's so unnerving to see now i'm like oh, it's hard look at that. This, it's hard i actually find <laughs> even when i'm scrolling I find myself and I'm like, okay, don't do this, Adrian. But maybe you should do this, but don't do this. But I find myself, when I see a picture of people in the same space, I actually want a COVID disclaimer now. Like I want people to say, here's how we were safe. And mm -hmm. um, you don't have to worry about us. Or this picture was from three years ago. Or something yeah. Like yeah, I've seen I, that. I've seen that where people are like, this is from, yeah. from last year. This is from blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, tell me it was either old don't lie to me. Let it be old. Or if it's new, I want to understand how you're still being safe. And, you know, I'm like, is that my control mechanism coming out that I'm trying to control the whole world for safety? But mm. I also am like, I want to normalize a culture where we're like, we are all paying attention to this thing. And we won't risk, we people that you love, we want, we're not risking ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. My next question is not a small one. It's a big one. And, you know, Lauren Olamina, for the first time that we know of, um, or actually, is it the second time she kills someone? She killed somebody in Robledo. She killed someone in Robledo, right? So mm -hmm. this is the first time on the road that she's had to had to do it. Mm -hmm. And where the person wasn't actively moving against her. Like she had to, she makes a decision when the person is knocked out, down. Um, but the question I have for people is, under what conditions would you kill? Ooh. Under what conditions would you kill? Mm, mm, um, mm. And it's one that I think a lot of people are like, I would rather just stay away from this question, or maybe it's just a blanket never. But in the conditions that they're in, and more and more often in the conditions that are being created for us, your survival may depend on that. And I think right now, we're in this really interesting historical moment heading into this electoral season where there's a side of people that are like, we would like to be alive and have an administration that is somewhat oriented towards life. And then there is an oppositional side, um, some of whom are deluded into thinking that they're, they're also feeling that way. And then mm -hmm. a huge swath of whom are armed militia with an explicitly racist and homophobic and transphobic worldview. And not people who are being encouraged in any way to participate in the system in a fair way, but people who are being gassed up and um, hyped towards violence and towards their worst, most base level selves. And to me, this question becomes one that we need to be asking ourselves is how do we protect ourselves from those who want to kill us and who are armed to do so? Um, how do we protect ourselves? And then under what conditions would you kill to protect yourself, to secure something, to mm -hmm. um, stop someone from harming someone else, to stop someone from harming you? And I don't want to hold a ton of judgment around, around the question um, because I think that that judgment comes from conditions that are not the ones we're necessarily discussing. Right. So to me, I'm like, I, I just think it's something to ask yourself and to be to be in yourself really deeply in your center around is 
you know, I've always felt that I'm like, if I saw someone coming after my nibblings, <laughs> it would just be, you know, I'm just like, no, that's, that's my thing. That's my line. Yeah. And I'm in really big questions around how it all connects to transformative justice, how it connects to what I believe in, how it connects to my relationship towards life. And yeah, so that's the question. That's such a powerful question. You know, my, my family had guns in the family, um, you know, because of, um, you know, people hunted and people went for protection. And I think Yeah, my that, grandfather too. Yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of relatives who went into the military and, you know, things like that. But I think, I think one thing is that, you know, I, I loved when my grandfather was like, you need to shoot a gun. You need to learn how to shoot because I really understand, stood it. And at the time, all right, I was eight, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I had the language for, but the way yeah. that we're, the way that we're raised is like, it's unbelievable. So all of these terrible things have happened to my grandparents by the time I came along. I think massive injustices, massive terror, massive everything, massive thievery, all of these things. These are the nicest, most full of grace people ever. I mean, I yes. was the first grandchild. I was like, I was treated like the sun. Like, I mean... They, they, the abundance of love they laid on me the first time they saw me, which I don't even know if I was aware of. I'm just sure I still feel it. Like these people are gone on to the other mm-hmm. world. And mm-hmm. I want you to know, I was like the loved baby. Like just, I still feel it. I still know my name from that. Right. Right. So those people, uh-huh. those incredible, like make a way out of no way, you know, mathematician scientists with like a sixth grade and eighth grade education, but like the nuance of figuring out life, those people were like, you're eight, you need a gun, need to know how to shoot a gun, (laughs) you know, and it it doesn't come from them. It comes from the system that finds our lives worthless unless we're in the service of serving that system. The brutality, mm-hmm. the brutality of um, of how this country was created. That um, you can, I read an article on like you know how people died during slavery and how many people died and the ways that they died. And it's I don't necessarily recommend you you look for those things, um, but yeah. it's it's crazy. It's just like I keep saying crazy because I don't have the language for how catastrophic so many humans operated in the service of their living so these Mm. are alive people (laughs) with access to the earth and this is what they this is what they did with it so when it when it comes to like when it came to like this idea of like you know we um who are descendants of enslaved people who are, mm-hmm. you know, not in the service of our full freedoms. Because if we were in the service of our full freedoms, like we wouldn't even need to contemplate defending ourselves. Exactly. But guess what? You know what we're going to do? We're going to defend ourselves. Exactly. You know, and this is how we're yeah. going to do it. Um, and I was like, that is a message I got like so early. And that I was worthy. Like I was worthy of defending myself. Like you were worthy of defense. Yeah. Self-defense. Like, like your people's yeah. defense. 
Yeah, you are. You know, like, um, I've never let that go. You know, I've just never let that go. That feels like a sacred belonging, you know, a sacred tie of belonging. That feels very important. And I, I think that's part of, for me, that's part of what's inside this question is, mm-hmm. um, is, are you ready to defend yourself? Are you ready to defend others? What does that look like? What is that readiness? How does it show up? And are we ready to deal with the reality in which not every situation can be de-escalated in mm. the ways that we might do within the communities we want to belong to? Um, and... I, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways people are responding to it. I know that I have, I have all these thoughts around it, but I still have not armed myself, <laughs> you know? And I, I, I think in some ways it's, there's also like, you can't do what you're not prepared to do. Um, and what are you prepared to do? And, mm. but, you know, I just, I'm like, oh, like if something happened, you know, even, um, Sometimes I'll I'll be in a situation where I'm like could I could I defend my parents, right? Right. Um, who are in an interracial relationship in Trump territory? Can I yes. protect them? You know. So I think it, it looks a lot of different ways. But yeah, that question, and then my final one for this episode is, um, you know. <laughs> when I initially wrote it, I was like, maybe you don't have hyper empathy syndrome. And then I, when I was reading it back, I had to laugh because I was like, which is a made up condition <laughs> that <laughs> Octavia created. So no one has it because it, she created it. Um, <laughs> so maybe you don't have it, but each of us have vulnerabilities. And the question I have is how familiar, how familiar are you with your conditions of vulnerability? Mm. And how comfortable are you at sharing them with others? Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. This feels really important to me. I feel like the disability justice movements have been giving us so many tools for learning to speak about, here's my access needs. Here's, you know, why I can't have sense in this room. Or here's the allergies that my body has. Or here's the different... Um, physical adjustments and other things that I'm going to need in order to be in this space in order for y'all to actually have my presence. And I feel like for me, it's been a slow climb getting with it. And here's the language I need used in order to Mm -hmm. feel included. You know, whenever you say crazy, I'm like, oh, we have to figure out the other language for crazy. We have to figure out (laughs) the other language. You know, Naomi Osaka said lame the other day. You know, she's like, well, that's kind of lame. And I'm like, oh, you know, what are the languages, you know, what are the languages that, right, that have us feel like our vulnerability is seen or not seen? But there's so many things, like the list is like pages and pages and pages potentially of considerations. And I always think what we need to do is be comfortable in the groups we land in. And in order to do that, we each need to be able to say, you know, when you and I talk, part of the reason the crazy doesn't land a certain way with me is because I'm like, well, we're both crazy. So it's us speaking in a certain way <laughs> that yeah. feels okay, right? But I'm like, oh, right. For us, whenever you and I show up for an event together, I'm like, I know 
that our bodies are going to be attended to a certain way because we both have those needs and we've articulated them to each other. So we're not going to be in some place where we're sitting on like precarious stools or need to go up 20 flights of stairs or Mm -hmm. right in our little pod of relationship. I feel like we are pretty transparent about who we are, our needs, but this feels like something we all need to get excellent at is being able to know what they are and know when to share. Yeah. No, that is, that is, that is some truth right there. That is some truth right there. I adore you. And (laughs) we're over the hump now in this book. And Mm. I'm really grateful to our listeners. I hope that this is continuing to feel of deep service to you. Um, I wanted to thank the people who've been sharing it. Um, So many of you are sharing it and we see that spreading the word, making sure other people know about it, listening in groups, um, listening with your pods. We see all of that. We really appreciate it. And we love y'all. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown, produced by Kat Aaron. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. And the music, Always See the Stars, is performed and written by Toshi Regan. There's a New World Coming is uh, written by Bernice Johnson Regan with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower with lead vocals by Shana Smalls. And Walking Miles is written by Toshi Regan and performed by Bernice Johnson Regan and Toshi Regan, all based on Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Love you. Love you too.